Like a stream of molten lead tearing down the rotating barrels of life, we are the scorched senses of the pirate Voxwave 665.66 UHMR Chemrat Radio. Coming to you live tonight from Vanderbilt's Resupply, where we're about to be spellbound by the sultry moves of Commissar Cammy and her boudoir battalion. I'd re-enlist for that. <laughs> And just for all of you hive hunters, bounty bandits, fortune seekers, and assorted sump scum, we've got good news. The Administrator Marshals have posted this week's bounties, and boy, do we have a gold rush on our hands. Two million creds to the bloodhound that brings in the Iceman himself, the OG of Clan Castigus, Eric Kane. Yeah, without my teddy, we could quit this live crumb retire. Yeah, but what will we do with all this equipment? Bringing you only the finest of Underhive news, I am your plasma-brained host, Goblin King. Joined today by my band of misguided manhunters, the razor-clawed fiend of the Frost Hollow himself, Chuckerfly. Just reminding everybody, even if they're your friend and they fall down on accident and don't recover, go through their pockets for loose change. <laughs> and bringing us a play-by-play of all the Commissar's jiggly parts, it's our own eagle-eyed quartermaster, Kev. You got titties on the left flank. Titties on the right flank, and ass all in your face. For <laughs> <laughs> how many toilets, it's, uh, Mark, you would give that. Yeah, he'd probably give it five. <laughs> I don't think he'd rate that as a toilet. You never know. <laughs> Quick shout out to any of you listeners out there who may or may not be part of the Wasteland community. Commissar Cammy and her boudoir battalion were definitely inspired by the Molotov Mollies of Wasteland. So very cool. I was like, I've got a thing I can do. I've got a thing. So yeah. Welcome to Under the Hive of Madness, episode 103, Horus Heresy and Imperium Divided. By the end of the Battle of Kalf, the cat was well and out of the bat, or Master Horus had played his hand and revealed his treachery. No longer being able to use subterfuge and obfuscation as he called allies to his side, the Mechanicus of Mars had split into the Dark Mechanicum and those elements of the Mechanicus that were still loyal to the Emperor. In an era before the arrival of the Cicatrix Melodictum, the Horus Heresy heralded the split of the galaxy into two. The Imperium stood now divided. Sun set against father, chaos set against ogre, or, 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 ogre, chaos set against ogre. Get out of my swamp. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much what uh, Biggie did to the whole galaxy. It, a little bit. <laughs> he looked at everybody and was like, get out of my swamp. Except for the humans, they can't stay. Right. <laughs> chaos set against order and Logar's primordial truth set against the emperor's imperial truth which means science yeah the big difference between imperial truth and imperial creed imperial creed is the religion that we have in 40k the imperial truth was the secular the original vision yeah the secular vision of the universe the fact that science and reasoning was going to lead everything which it all but which had it a big almost hole did in it it almost did so I personally don't think it ever would have. This may not have been what happened, but at some point, the fact that the Emperor was just willingly ignoring all of the warp and all of the immaterium was going to cause problems eventually. Like, I think you can't I be think like, it was going to change everything us. in science, except that dark part over there. <laughs> I think, I think, I think eventually once his webway was done, he would change uh, what was going on. You think he would have been able to calm the warp? Somehow. I think I think he was going to start letting you know the Primarchs and more and more 
trickle out what the truth is about the warp after he fixed the webway. Oh, well, I mean, if he had stabilized the webway, it, at least in the way that, that we needed to, the Imperium wouldn't have had to use the warp anymore because they could have used the stabilized webway. Right. But, but psychers are still a thing. Yeah. And passively, that's still a problem. It's like what we talked about last episode with building histories. Like, they, it's not one domino. And psychers are another domino. The and warp is another dominoes. Yeah, I'm actually but... really sad that I missed that episode because that was like right up my alley, but I was really tired. <laughs> and we talked a lot about the sea people. Not really. I mentioned them once, but it's, yeah. it's interesting. It's really funny how like I, it, it's got to be the cyclical nature of podcasting or the cyclical nature of like information sharing or whatever, however it works. But the number of times that we talk about something in a podcast episode and then that week, it seems to be the popular topic that everybody's talking about in one way, shape or form. And it doesn't happen on purpose. Like we didn't plan our release based on what people were going to release on YouTube for their talking points. But there were two major um, talks on the Mongols and two major talks on the Sea Peoples that came out by like relatively big YouTubers this week that I'm like, you that's crazy. Me. Well, I mean, you it doesn't gotta be kidding me. It's it doesn't surprise me because I saw a bunch of solar auxilia YouTube videos go up within like a week of each other. I'm like, do you guys well, all like have a meeting before you yeah, release your videos? That's that's yeah. that's because of chalk because he's doing a solar auxilia. That's true. Then the other thing is well, no, uh, not not on us. I'm talking like no, YouTube specifically yeah. had a, a shit I'm saying, ton. I'm saying he caused yeah. it. Oh, good yeah. job, Chuck. He he fucked up everybody's algorithm. <laughs> yeah, let let people know about Solar Exilia. No, nobody knew about him before, and now it's so funny that they're like all over YouTube. Suddenly, all over YouTube. I think it's because they're the most released or the most recent released army. Oh, that could be a thing too. We had done our Schism of Mars coverage and a bunch of stuff. A bunch of other people, like within a within a couple of days, had started talking about uh, the Mechanicum and the Dark Mechanicum, and like I I get yeah. it's just the cyclical nature, and it also could be so much content gets released on YouTube, and I do so much of my writing through Google Sheets, and so much of my research using PDF versions of the books that like, and and I'm always I'm always looking up other sources online and checking against like Reddit documents and other things that it's very, very possible that my algorithm is just very trained to be like, Oh, what did you release to your podcast today? Oh, you released this. Okay. We're going to show you everybody else that's doing this content. Um, it's just weird that people I already follow are doing the same content. Right. It's just strange. And like, you know, our, our episode comes out, we record on Saturday, we drop our Patreon episode or we record on Friday. We drop our Patreon episode on wednesday it's usually edited and ready in the tube by tuesday night and then thursday is when it goes out wide for the podcast audience and like some of these videos and stuff i'm talking about came out on like tuesday or wednesday so they came out before our official release but our stuff was done like our stuff was already done it was already in the can <laughs> so it's right. just really weird um and i've i've encountered it or i've seen it in other places with other podcasts and with other content that i follow where the creators have said the same thing. They're like, it's really weird. Like we just randomly decided this is just where we are in our schedule. We scheduled this six months ago and now everybody seems to be talking about the same topic. It's, right. it's, it's just the way that the web works. I think it's, it's the algorithm. I'm blaming the algorithm. We are the algorithm. The algorithm is us. 
<laughs> so the thing that the uh, Mechanicum got the wrong, is, it shouldn't yeah. have been the Omnisci, it should have been the algorithm. <laughs> yeah. All hail the algorithm. The new sphere, baby. <laughs> That's right. Who's the players in the game, bro? What are the teams? What's, the, what's your lineup? So our players in this great tragedy will start with the Traitor Legions. Even now, much still remains uncertain when it comes to the strategic position, deployments, and configuration of Warmaster Horus's forces. Roughly half of the Titan Legions and numberless hosts of the Exeridus Imperialis, the Imperial Army with all of its soldiers, vessels, and war machines, had either through corruption, misguided loyalty to Horus, or simply blind ignorance in compliance with their current orders sided with the Warmaster. Not everybody who sided with him knew what was going on. Some of them were literally just following orders. The oh, Imperial yeah. Army alone would never be enough to overthrow the Emperor. A thousand battleships would have become wrecked against the defenses of Terra. Ten million auxilia would have spent their lives besieging the Eternity Gates, with hundreds of millions following them in a war of pointless attrition. Horus knew the challenge he was up against, the superhuman warriors he would have to march through the Legio Custodes, and defenses designed by the Emperor's own hands, which were now garrisoned by Rogal Dorn and his sons, the Imperial Fists. His greatest attention would be placed on the location and strengths of those other Legio Astartes that he could bring into the fold, those who would go on to become the traitor legions. At the Warmaster's side during the opening years of the Horus Heresy, some eight legions stood with him. The shattered remnants of the Thousand Sons would later join the traitor's cause in earnest, but at this early point, they were not yet fully active in the war. They were still largely in an unknown disposition and even allegiances following their apocalyptic battle with Prospero. So no one knew what the strength of their military footing was and no one knew where their independent allegiances lay. Just because Magnus was obviously siding with the chaos powers didn't mean that Magnus was siding with Horus, and just because Magnus was siding with the chaos powers or Horus didn't mean that his captains would all follow suit. There was a big question still. While the dropsite massacre had inflicted terrible wounds on the loyalist forces involved, the traitor legions had not themselves come away from the cataclysm unscathed, and this was combined with the losses that they had suffered during the recent purging of the traitor's ranks at Istavan III and in other battlefields. I was going to say, I wonder if uh, when they're writing all this, you know, you, you think about what he's doing in the grand scheme of it, even though, because there's what, the half-herd captain that he kept within his ranks and didn't send as a right. uh, to purge, how many more captains right. and dudes were like that amongst the fleet causing havoc later? Yeah, well, and we'll, we'll kind of get into some of that. Um, well, we'll kind of get into the rumors of some of that today. The beginning rumors, I guess. Man, man, I think of these questions to asking you already got written out, and I don't even read what you write. I love it. <laughs> I fucking love it. So at this point, by the way, uh, let's go really quickly down the eight traitor legions that we just talked about. So we've got the Emperor's Children, the Iron Warriors, the Night Lords, the World Eaters, the Death Guard, the Sons of Horus, the word bearers and the alpha legion. And as I mentioned, the thousand sons would become the ninth one. But at this point, they're not quite there. They're not quite ready. They haven't baked enough yet. They're still licking their wounds in the corner. Estimates place the traitors losses during the battles of Istavan, fall and the Parmara system in the region of a hundred thousand space Marine fatalities compared to a death toll. 
while it's unknown, probably most likely in the 300 or 400,000 range for those who remained loyal to the emperor. So the emperor at this point has lost quite a bit more. Now, we haven't covered the events of Fall and the Paramar Five yet in detail, and they will be the focus of our next episode on the Horus Heresy. But for a short summary, at Fall, the entire force of the traitorous Iron Warriors under Perturabo after the Dropsite Massacre. So after the Dropsite Massacre, the Iron Warriors and Perturabo, the entire military, almost the entire military, like obviously a couple of units that were in trouble stayed behind. But they all left with their fleet to go to fall. And at that point, they attacked the Imperial Fist Retribution fleet that had actually been dispatched to assist with Istvan III. So these were the ones that Rogel Dorn had sent to Istvan III before the cat was out of the bag. This is probably one of the more major space battles of the early heresy. And we haven't done a space battle only coverage yet. So that's one of the reasons that we're moving both of these back. One of them deals with the void and space battle only, and the other kind of deals mostly with trying to capture a forge world. And that was Paramar 5. This is when the traitorous Alpha Legion under Alpharius besieged the Paramar, ne the Paramar Nexus in order to take the entire forge world. Again, these both took place after the Dry Site Massacre, but they also kind of took place right around or right after or overlapping with the Battle of Kalf. We're not trying to cover things out of order in any way, shape, or form. There just isn't really a clear, concise order to a lot of this stuff because of space. <laughs> like, realistically, relativity is a bitch. That's it. That's all I got. Estimates fell into the region of 900,000 active Legionus Astartes pledged to the Wardmaster's cause, while roughly two-thirds, or about 600,000, remained in fighting condition within the Loyalists' camp. Even with this military advantage gained from the drop site massacre, Horus had yet, had yet to gain a large enough force to make an immediate and direct assault on Terra and the Imperial heartland of Segmentum Solar a strategically viable option. It didn't matter that he had the upper hand. He didn't have enough of an upper hand to have a decisive victory. That was a big thing with the Sons of Horus. They have enough cannon fodder. You know, one of the tactics of the Sons of Horus, one of the big tactics of Horus, was going with an overwhelming force and cut off the head of the snake. Remove its leadership and the rest of the military will crumble, but it relied on that overwhelming force of strength, and he didn't have it. 900,000 to 600,000 seems pretty big until you think about the fact that home turf advantage and as people come into Segmentum Solar, what the defenders are going to do is they're going to force the traders to attack in specific ways, ways that waste their numerical advantage. Ways yep. that force them to come in one at a time and then they can be taken out easier. And, yep. and this, this is one of those things because, yeah, now they know, they're aware and they're preparing against this oncoming attack. The numbers had to be at a certain point and that was a reality that Horus would face in determining what his next move was. What, what was that, Chuck? Oh, yeah, it's a, well, I was going to say that's like a big thing. Like he's, you know, it's space. So we all know space warfare for movies is different. But imagine fortifying an entire solar system that you have to go to. That's basically what yeah. he's got to fight through. Yeah. Better yet, if you can force your enemy to approach you through certain shipping lanes, through certain warp lanes, which is really kind of what Horace was looking at. There were, There's only a certain number of stable warp paths 
through certain areas. So it, Even it ends for up chaos being ships. They yeah. have, they still have to like kind of take normal ish route. They don't just get a free pass. Demons don't really give a shit. If you also worship other demons, they'll still eat your ass. And some of it is that there's things on the warp that are bigger than the demons. Yeah. The warp is full of stuff. Other warp and some of that stuff doesn't give a shit about. Yeah. Exactly. Other warp. Creatures, yeah. And some of that shit doesn't give a fuck about the material universe at all. So if you're in its territory, it's just going to destroy you. And that's it. That's it. Okay, thanks. Bye. Yep. Warp Kraken. Uh, There are. Yeah. We're going to have to do like an entire series on the warp. We're going to have to do like an entire season on the warp. I don't know why I said series. (laughs) In in case people, because I don't know if it's still happening. I haven't opened a new book. I haven't looked at the map lately, but. There's usually Kraken and other sea monsters on the maps. Yep. Yeah, there's all sorts of weird shit that comes out of the warp. And some of it's demons, and some of it's just warp weird shit things, like big yeah. warp predators. That I can't remember the book, but one of the books was talking about how they, and they're going through the warp, and one of the guys is essentially asking, like, why Geller fields matter, why they're important. And the other space marine he's talking to is much older and i want to say is part of or maybe he's talking he may be talking to a navigator he's talking to somebody who's much more like wise and more powerful than he is and the guy is basically saying there's stuff out there that is not the things that we know about is not the things that we know in fear there you know there are things the size of a ship there are things that can eat a ship there are things that can eat the things that are big enough to eat a ship and they they're just predators they don't have motivation. They're more. There's always a bigger sharks. fish. Yeah, we've we've made the comparison before because that's the way that our minds kind of deal with pattern recognition and not dealing with 3D space the way that 3D space would be dealt with or will be dealt with when we get there. But a lot of times we look at the way that the warp is, and the game looks at the way the warp is, and the video games and everything kind of look at the way that the warp and space work is being an ocean. So if space is the surface of the ocean that ships sail on, the warp is all the shit underneath where light doesn't get to. And, you know, what, what is that thing that Those they say we know more about the creatures. moon? Yeah. We know more about the moon than our own ocean. The bottom of the ocean. Yeah. And just think of the great movies that have come out of that. Movies like The Abyss. Yeah. And Pacific Rim and the yeah. American blockbuster award winning emmy nominated film the meg (laughs) (laughs) exactly Uh, hey i said it with it i said it with a straight face (laughs) you did you did you had me you had me i totally thought you i was like what the fuck is he talking about the the meg Meg. (laughs) (laughs) you fucking got me (laughs) One day, Jason Statham will also have a... What's the award that they all want? The gold man? I should know this. Oscar. 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 Yeah, he'll have an Oscar, too. Mark I my mean, words. It'll be I'm for sure like, they'd let him be on Sesame Street if he wanted ex- to be. Expendable 7 or whatever. <laughs> While the Traitor Legions were the single greatest power in Horus's armies, they were far from alone. To achieve the ultimate aim of laying siege to Terra and overthrowing the Emperor, the traitors would need to call upon and fight alongside a wide array of other forces. Either bought through blind loyalty of long association, cunning bribery, hacks of allegiance, coercion, 
or the infamous progress of the so-called dark compliance, Horace amassed a massive following. As early as the traitors' defenses of the Urgul Depression during Istvan Five Drop Massacre, mortal auxilia troops were used with unspeakable callousness by their space marine masters, herded towards the enemy as meat shields on which the foe's ammunition would be wasted before the space marines would fully commit to battle. Such disregard for the purely human component of the War Master's forces would be shown time and again throughout the bloody years to come. However, this wasn't always the case, as at times, Horus and his commanders would actually entrust vital missions to their more reliable mortal allies and split entire battle groups of traitor auxilia and armada units off for independent operations, either of conquest or of destruction. Often, however, it is to be noted that they would be assigned officers of co or cadres of Sons of Horus, Iron Warriors, or Alpha Legionnaires to oversee what they were doing when they were away in the field. So even though he trusted certain commanders and certain uh, admirals and captains enough, he still sent his own guys with them. All of the traitor Primarchs ended up doing this, uh, Angron being another famous example of somebody who never really trusted a mortal with a ship except the one mortal that he really trusted with his own ship. Can't remember her name for the life of me. Well, that's because she defended the ship. Latara Sarin. Yes, with the with the bloody handprint on her white she admiral's is, coat. She is yep. probably the most badass yep. female in... I mean, there's, there's plenty of badass females in 40k, but in my opinion, she's probably one of the most badass because of things like she's the only one that Angron, a completely murder-blind yeah, monster... But, like, she can kind of get him to listen and, like, do shit. Yeah, she stared him down. Yeah. There's there's the funny joke. It's like, Angron slams a door. And it's like, she's like, what bills does he pay to slam doors on my ship? <laughs> <laughs> right? That's funny. And, like, yeah, it's a meme. But, like, that's that's her level of of being a boss. Yeah. <laughs> Angron, mm -mm, you don't slam doors on my spaceship. <laughs> listen, listen, we just repainted that, okay? I One of my favorite, like, weird lore tidbits that I know about Angron's battle barge is that there are entire crews of mortals that are tasked with chasing after him to repair the damage he does to the ship. Because Angron doesn't use doors. He Angron just punches makes holes doors. in walls. Yeah. <laughs> And then, and then this mortal crew has to repair this giant rip in the side of the fucking ship because Angron decided to jump onto the planet below. <laughs> he's, he's like the Hulk. Yeah. And like, and the dark side of that is if he catches them chasing him, he murders them. He murders oh, yeah, them. He catches yeah. on to the fact that they're following. Yeah, because they're, they're following him. Just they because be they're following guys. him. Not yeah. because of what they're going to do, just because they're following him. Yep. That's Angron. Great. All right. So we just mentioned the Dark Compliance. Let's talk about the Dark Compliance a little bit. The slave cares not whose hand wields the whip or why, knowing only the authority of its touch, the discipline of its voice, and the certainty of pain. That is a Chthonian proverb. So Chthonia being Horus's homeworld. On many worlds, the seeds of corruption were sown long before Horus's betrayal had been unveiled at Istvan. When the War Master led his forces in civil war, hundreds of worlds not directly connected to his power base declared for his cause. Many of these worlds were scattered around the dangerous periphery of the Imperium's frontiers, and his agents and those of his allies within the Mechanicum 
the Alpha Legion and the word bearers had worked to twist and poison those populations against the emperor for generations. At this point, these guys have been fighting the war for 200 years, the Great Crusade for 200 years, and the word bearers at the very least have been traitors for like 60 years. So that's a generation. You've got enough time to get a couple of generations to fold against the emperor if you play your cards right. Hundreds of other worlds, from isolated and otherwise unimportant colonies to keystones of the Imperium's economy and military strength, would also fall under his sway as the war progressed in a process that became known as the Dark Compliance. To each world over which the Warmaster's shadow fell, a simple choice was given. Total submission and surrender, or total destruction and brutal subjugation. There were no other options, and there were no second chances. Oh man, it's like when I'm playing Stellaris. <laughs> I had I had similar thoughts when I was writing some You're of these like, lines. Man, am I the Hans? Are, are we the bad guys? Are we the bad guys? <laughs> uh, Submit we, or die. <laughs> we talked a lot about Genghis Khan or Genghis Khan, depending on how you want to pronounce it. And last episode with world building histories, I did a, like a good chunk of the episode. I referred to some of that history. This was Genghis Khan's move. This is what he did when he took a city. Yep. Fall to me, bend to the knee, or I will kill all of you. Romans. Yeah, Roman. Yep. Yep. <laughs> become Roman, become Roman, or become dead. Yeah. <laughs> That's yes. your option. <laughs> yes, yes or no. It's real easy. Right, right. So my options are become Roman or become dead. Hmm. I'll have the vegetarian plate. <laughs> <laughs> it was a perverse parody of the progress and goals of the Great Crusade, and it served as more than just a scorn to the emperor's dream. Nor was it just the vainglory of a tyrant as an underlying method and intelligence wove beneath this wanton savagery. When one militant world or stubbornly loyalist star system was punished by apocalyptic destruction for their brave defiance, such fear was created in others nearby that their surrender came as a rapid and foregone conclusion, often without a shot needing to be fired. Each world added not simply territory, but manpower, production capacity, and supplies beating a traitor war machine that was growing exponentially in power. Furthermore, those worlds marked for death became measured, if not less brutal decapitation strikes for which Horus's own legion had been long famed for. So they were practicing. Every time they took one of these, it was very measured, it was very calculated, and it was just exactly what they needed to do each time. It was the same battle plan. They're refining their attack tactic over and over and over again. And the devastation visited during the Dark Compliance was never so thorough that survivors were not left to spread the word of what terrors they had beheld and of the price that this new Shadow Emperor executed for defiance. So again, don't kill them all. You always leave, you always leave one alive. What was that? It's that Davy Jones. Well, how does anybody got, know? Somebody's got to know yeah. how bad it was, yeah. How, how does the legend grow? It's the same thing that Genghis Khan did. I'm going to leave... 200 of you alive, 10 of you I'm going to send out into the open to talk, and the other 190 are becoming my personal slaves. And uh, actually, I was kind of thinking about it. The Emperor kind of did the same thing during the Unification Wars. In a lot of ways. I, yeah. yeah. A little bit nicer, because the a Emperor... A little bit nicer. Yeah, because yes. the Emperor would stop completely destroying your planet when, as soon as you did. So, the Emperor gave second chances. That's the difference. But yeah, the dark compliance follows. It makes a lot of sense because the Great Crusade was often called, or was was a collection of wars of compliance on the other end. Yeah. Yep. 
And in the same way, you know, just as we talked about the Great Crusade expanding exponentially and, and the toll that that took on the Imperium Army and why the Imperium, uh, on the Imperial Army, not the Imperium Army, on the Imperial Army and why the Imperial Army had to grow the way it did and why the Space Marines got further and further scattered as time went on, it's the same thing in reverse. As Horus is taking these worlds, you know, one world, he takes the first world in a brutal slaughter and the three closest worlds that are part of that same system go, oh yes, space daddy. <laughs> we don't like space uncle anymore. We now like space daddy. <laughs> and then what's well, yeah. weird too, you can you imagine it's like, say you were one of those worlds that fell into compliance with the Horus heresy. You were like a backwater doing horrible. Now all of a sudden you're you're this thriving metro your coruscant. All of a sudden Horus comes back and you say no to Horus. And he just obliterates he you. Obliterates your city. Like can you imagine that thought process of people on that planet. Well, and the other thing is that there were planets. God damn it. Not were, again. <laughs> not again. <laughs> there were planets my that cabbages. were cabbages. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was like the cabbage merchant. Oh my god. Uh, there were planets so far out on the frontier and so far removed from the Azure. We'll talk about the astropaths in a minute, but astropathic communication that they didn't even know this shit was happening. And by the time they got back into contact with whatever their closest planet was, that planet was like, oh, yes, we yes, yes. Welcome back, brothers. We now serve the War Master Horus. And that planet was so far removed. They're like, OK, OK. And not not because they not because they read the literature and agreed with his march towards chaos, just because they were like, I mean, I guess so. It's that scene in Mighty Python where they ride up to the peasants digging dirt. Who are you? I'm King Arthur. I'm your king. I didn't vote for you. It's like, like <laughs> those people right? in medieval times. A lot of times, the the people that were working the land had no fucking clue who the actual ruler was like, or what the ruler think, was doing. Think about it this way: there's no newspaper. Yeah. Well, yeah. You you can't read. Yeah, right. No, like you can't read. So even if there was a newspaper, all you best thing you could do is see the pictures. Hey, who's this kid with the crown? Yeah, uh, I guess he's the boss now. <laughs> I guess he's the boss. He's the fancy dressed one. And like the 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 best indicator you had that somebody was important was how well dressed and how many people they had following them around. Yeah, and like that was the best you could do. Of course, he's a king. How can you tell he's a king? He ain't got shit all over him. <laughs> <laughs> he smells like flowers yeah he's clean and, and he's clean he's on a big ass horse yeah. <laughs> and like if you're a frontier world and you get communication just imagine you are a frontier world let will paint a picture you are on a frontier world and your frontier world gets into contact with the imperium every six months it seems semi-reasonable there's a warp storm that comes up or there's a conflict that makes delays that and you don't get an update for two years. And then you get back into touch with the Imperium and you're like, all right, we've got our tithe. We've got our guys. We're ready to send them to you. And the person that you talk to on the other side is like, oh, yes. Well, Warmaster Horus, thanks you very much for your contribution. Send them to uh, Syphilis 5. There's a planet named Syphilis in this version of the Imperium. And, and you go, is. yep. Right away, sir, and you pack up all those Imperial Guardsmen, the, all those planetary defense guys, and you send them off in a ship to whatever system that was that the Hor the, the Warmaster Horus. As far as you're aware, Horus you're was Warmaster when you lost communication, and yeah. he's Warmaster he's still again. Warmaster, yep. You're he's just Horus doing what you were still Warmaster? <laughs> right. That's the first, ah, that's the first question. <laughs> it is our oldest joke. <laughs> um 
And like, if that's it, if that's your only communication, then that's your only communication or, or worse, your uh, the only communication is space Marines have shown up in your system and are like, Hey, we need this. We, we need this for the war effort. Fuel. <laughs> we require more Vespian gas. Of course, sir. <laughs> Here's your more Vespian gas. <laughs> oh my God. Now I want to build more pylons, Kevin. It's all your fault. Hey, ninjas can't touch you if they must construct additional pylons. It's true. The traitor Auxilia. Fear not that I am come to demand your surrender. There is in me no such gift of mercy. I am come to deliver not words, but fire. Baron Armilan, emissary of the War Master to the Planetary Council of Subinus. So it should have been Subinus Five that I that I brought up earlier. Subinus dude. <laughs> <laughs> Subinor channel. Uh wow. Like Marky's like, not here, so somebody has to make a somebody, joke. Somebody's <laughs> gotta drop the dick jokes. <laughs> gotta happen. By far the largest number of human troops in the War Master's command were drawn from the Imperial Auxilia and ranged from the massive Imperial Army regiments of the line to the elite ranks of Solar Auxilia. In addition, the War Master also exercised command over native militias, planetary tithe hosts, and rogue trader conquester companies. The latter were able to range far and wide, often serving as emissaries of the War Master and delivering his personal demands for planetary governors to swear loyalty to his cause or suffer the ruin for their worlds. Rumors even suggested that traitor rogue trader conquester forces continued their exploration of the outer darkness even as the heresy consumed the Imperium, claiming untoned worlds not in the name of the Emperor but for the War Master, even establishing pocket empires far beyond the Imperium, crowning themselves as the War Master's sovereigns over realms that lingered beyond the heresy and well into the age of the Great Scouring. So there's a wow. there's a story kernel here of the fact that there could still even be these pocket empires. Now they might not they may not it's all reflect you know, two planets any, and a couple moons. Yeah. But and it may not hey, reflect and it may not reflect anything of what the War Master's cause eventually became. It may just be that these are sovereigns sworn to Horus. And yeah. the Imperium shows up and is like, oh, Oh, brothers, who are oh, you? Because I don't see any chaos. There is no chaos corruption. There's nothing there, but yeah, there's just there's a bunch of horse stuff. And they're like, what the fuck? Why right. are you sworn to horse? 10,000 years ago, we were sworn to the War Master Horus. He's, he's the boss, right? And they're like, um, no. Man, have I got a story for you? <laughs> <laughs> You're going to want to be sitting down for this one. <laughs> start, start the bombardment. Yeah, you're going <laughs> to want to be in a bunker for this one. <laughs> yeah, right. Additionally, Horus's mighty host was filled out further by entire fleets of warships turned to his service, whether willingly or through various other means. The need for such a vast armada only became apparent after the events of Istvan, when the shortest route to attack Terra was no longer available and the wars of what would come to be called the Age of Darkness had begun. Without an aggressive expansion of the number of work-capable voidcraft in the traitor's hands, Horus's war would simply not be possible. The Legion of Astartes controlled their own ships and thousands more besides as part of their massive expeditionary fleets, but these would be insufficient to move and supply the vast hosts of all kinds that Horus had gathered under his growing banner. Forces that would need to fight in battles flaring up across a war zone that encompassed the entire galaxy. In order to ensure the continued service of these vessels and their crews, when separated from his Legion's direct control, the War Master scattered numerous hidden agents 
cults, spies, and assassins throughout each. Traitor shipmasters who attempted to go renegade against their oaths to Horus, thinking themselves beyond the Warmaster's gaze, found a swift end by a deck officer who was in fact a sworn agent to Horus. While others who displayed ruthless ambition in the Warmaster's service, or who embraced the strange and sinister teachings promoted and spread by dark forces that walked in Horus's shadow, were well rewarded. That's crazy. I mean, I wonder with how, how easy like some of them even said yes, even before he was threatening. Wonder what right. it was that most of them were like, oh yeah, cool. Like what law? In a lot of cases, it literally came down to the fact that these guys hadn't didn't know who the emperor was. Just look at look at the size of the galaxy. We're talking about the northern reach of the Imperium. The reason I brought up the Cicatrix Melodictum earlier is because the Horus Heresy really split the galaxy in the same way. There was the Southern Imperium and there was the Northern Imperium, Galactic South, Galactic North. So we're talking about the northern reaches of the Imperium at this point. We're talking about like blues and grays. Far... What's up? Blues and grays. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um yeah, I mean it's a civil war. Uh, the heresy it's all... will rise again. It, it's all <laughs> it's just the heresy was in the north. Uh, to look at what was happening in a lot of cases, these guys would be out in a system like the Sibinus system, the one that the quote came from. And the Sibinus system would have been brought to compliance by, say, the Alpha Legion. The Alpha Legion brings the Sibinus cluster into compliance towards the end of the Great Crusade. They raise a certain number... The Emperor's not there anymore. Yeah, yeah. They raise a certain number of military uh, exilia of, of Imperial Army forces, and the Forge World that's in the area, now also brought back into compliance and reunited, provides a bunch of ships for them. And the Emperor isn't there the emperor doesn't make a speech the emperor never signs anything all of these all of these guys know is that war master horus is their boss and that his boss is named the emperor so when the when horus turns against the emperor these guys that all they know are the space marines they fight with and the war master that they followed they have so a lot, nothing a lot to of them, go on so a lot of them is the so when the emperor started to step back from everything, it's more of those planets that fell really quick to Horus's banner. Just it's a lot of the yeah. it's a lot of the later stuff because later, a lot of the later, later stuff. Yeah, the later years. It didn't always work like that. There were closer planets. There were planets that definitely shouldn't have fallen that fell for other reasons. But the guys who fell because they didn't know better came from these fringe colonies. And at the same time, in the early years and the like you know if we were to split the horus heresy into three time periods we've got the the first two and a half years the middle two and a half years and the last two and a half years so you take the seven years and then we split them into three equal parts the first two and a half years a lot of the maneuvering and a lot of the combat and a lot of everything that's happening is seen as political it's seen as horus is going to be a better emperor than the emperor none of the chaos shit has really come into play yet yeah and it's definitely a different story when like your bunkmate bob has four arms and seven eyes you know <laughs> maybe you made a poor choice but when it's just i get more corpse starch yeah man both That's of those choices story. are pretty awful <laughs> more corpse starch is better than no corpse starch right Right. And my buddy looking at me with six eyes and four toes. I mean, you know, at least he's got more big toes for you to suck on. Ugh. The Dark Mechanicum. As we covered in our recent episode on the Schism of Mars, the powers of the Mechanicum and their forces were also of vital importance to Horus's war effort. Within the ranks of this Dark Mechanicum, as they would become to be known, were powerful elements of the Martian priesthood, the Ordo Reductor, and the Legio Cybernetica. 
along with many of the feared Meridian Destructor cults and a number of subcults which had operated for long years on the edge of tech heresy anyway, all drawn together by Fabricator General Kalbar Hall. They brought with them support of more than half of the Legio Titanicus, as well as dozens of allied nighthouses, and even Mars itself had been lost to the Loyalists. With the output and military power of the Forge worlds such as Serum, Voss, Cyclowraith, and Stygius declared for the traitors, while others such as Anvilus, Encaladon, and Ryza had been paralyzed with their own civil wars. Is, is Ryza, is that, oh no, that's Rin's world. Rin's, Rin's world is, is where the uh, Crimson Fists are at. So I was going to say, Ryza's on, uh, isn't Ryza on some of the decals? Yeah, Ryza's yes. a Forge world. Ryza is one of the major Forge worlds in the 40k. Gotcha. They've it's got just the on the decals. decals because it's a Forge world. Yeah. Well, and there's Ryza pattern tanks and there's Ryza pattern weapons. Yeah. Um, I think the Demolisher is Ryza pattern, right, Kevin? I honestly don't remember. Or it might be the plasma option that you can take on the Demolisher. One of them is Ryza pattern. One of them is Mars pattern and one of them is Ryza pattern. Yes, that those are the two main ones. Hidden forces. As Horus's influence grew and the raging firestorm of the heresy consumed ever greater swaths of the Imperium, other less conventional forces began to fight alongside the traitors. Aside from the legions of long-implanted spies, covert agents, terrorist cells, and mercenaries, many were cults that joined the fray. Drawn from the vast numbers of fanatics steeped in the insanity of the warp, which rose up on world after world, and anywhere they sprouted, you could find the disciples of the Dark Apostle Erebus and the Davenites, who had followed in the Warmaster's wake since day one. Most were frenzied zealous who abased themselves at their new warlord's feet, screaming the praises of entities then unnamed, but which would become all too familiar as the heresy ground on. Few worlds escaped the presence of these deluded cults, and while it was notable that many of the traitor space marines avoided direct contact with them, not all did. The word bearers in particular utilized cults in their battle plan, as many appeared to venerate the warriors of Logar as demigods and angels, prostrating themselves on the ground in their presence or laying down their lives in battle without question. And like you said, that's that whole generation that they had. Right. Yeah, it's the generate they've they've been able to and in a lot of cases, the planets that had fallen to the Great Crusades compliance had chaos cults on them before they fell in. Before anyway. before they and fell. And those yeah. religions didn't go away. That's a big through line, especially of the Horus Heresy Black Library novels, is the number of planets they take that have chaos related religions on yep. them before they're taken. Yeah. They're cults after compliance. They're state sponsored religions before <laughs> yeah like uh whatchamacallit uh logar's world yeah yeah exactly they followed the old gods which were the primordial truth which it turns out are the chaos gods eventually when you distill it down far enough and the davenites are the same way the davenites had their own religion but their religion essentially just worshipped the chaos gods under a different name yep kind of like how in 40k a lot of planets worship the emperor but not only always by the name the emperor sometimes by a different name there were also darker forces horus could call upon ones most often encountered where warp cults had previously risen up or where the greatest amounts of blood had been shed although as the war ground on incursions such as these grew ever more widespread and unpredictable following the reckless expansion of civil conflict these were the denizens of the warp known most commonly by the ancient and arcane term daemon 
At the time, many of the Imperium savants thought of them instead as aliens that simply lived within the warp, like the dreaded wasp-like parasite known as the Psychonu... That's a word that I pronounced in my head, but not out loud. Psychonuian? Heaven help. Sounds good. Yeah, I'm giving Psychonuian. Psychonuian. Psychonuian? Psychonuian. They're basically like half meter size wa- uh, wasps that live in the webway. It's like written like it's supposed to be German. Which would be Seinuit? S- no. S- no. Uh, German, the second vowel is the one that gets pronounced when you second have Second vowel. So it'd be Seinuin. Seinuin? Seinuin? Seinuin. Psychnoid? That's that doesn't even that doesn't flow at all. That's terrible. No, I, that's no, that can't it, be it. This is one of those psychic wasp. This is one of those ones that somebody wrote down, not thinking of how it was going to be pronounced. <laughs> right? Yeah, they're basically these. They're like half meter big psychic wasps that live in the webway, and they cause dread and fear, and then sting you, and are awful. Are you describing a Pokemon or a warp creature? A warp creature. <laughs> we will. Uh, that's actually it's pretty a, funny. It's basically the description the, of a Pokemon. The, it's, it's a, a psychic pokey, bug type. <laughs> it's a yeah. It's a it's a pokey warp creature. Right. We'll definitely have to do a creatures of the like lesser creatures of the warp, like aliens of the warp, like enslavers are one of the other ones. Uh, the other thing that these savants thought is that it possibly could be some sort of other psychic phenomenon, something that was just mortal insanity, something that was basically just like mortal insanity given physical form for a temporary amount of time. There's such a backlash of warp storm activity and of shit happening that stuff is just manifesting in the short term. The true danger or power of such creatures had yet to make its mark on humanity. So at this point, a lot of them think it's either aliens that live in this other realm, because we've already, you know, we've already encountered aliens that do live in the other realm, uh, or it's just phenomenon and it'll go away. There was no connection to the fact that demons were this thing, demons were this thing that was going to grow in power and that there were going to be dark gods that hadn't coalesced in the imperial mind yet in the traitor mind it had as the war ground on many of the traitor legions would fight side by side with legions from the abyss sharing their sins and chanting the names of the same dark powers in the early years though as the war masters tore across the imperium of the galactic north this is what i was mentioning earlier most of the legionists astartes with the exception being the word bearers still considered these things to be anathema to their principles or disregarded them as mere dangerous warp phenomenon. Even they thought they weren't because again, in these early years, nobody is dedicated to the warp yet. You know, the, the word bearers are all in, but the rest haven't really bought into this cycle yet. They think in a lot of ways they're justifying to themselves in a lot of ways that they're just sick of the way they're being treated and they're going to get their comeuppance. None of them have really, sat down and faced the actual thing that they've signed on to none of them have drank enough of the kool-aid yet you know their question they're too far in (laughs) yeah go for it so i know we talked about the librarian before and the psychers being put away i don't remember if we've touched on the fact that traitor legions how soon do they let their librarians and psychers back out? And maybe they knew what was going on. It wasn't really split that way. It wasn't split by, and it's it's interesting that you bring it, this up. It wasn't split by who hadn't restrained their librarians and who hadn't restrained their librarians at all. In fact, 
that's a completely different list. And if you look at that list, it's even more confusing because loyalist Ooh. legions like the white scars and the space wolves never did anything to their librarians. They, no, I mean, what, because they both called them different things, but they yeah, were still but, librarians. No, my question is like, so the traitor legions, right? Right. So they don't exactly know what, what all the weird warperies going on. But did their librarians know what it was? Not necessarily. No. Okay. No. No. And and again, legion by legion, like the word, uh, the world eaters and the death guard. Like, no, absolutely not. They didn't give a shit at all. Like, librarians are shit. Get them out of my sight. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, the yeah. word bearers totally knew. The emperor's children, another exception here. They. They would have known early on. Started to embrace it as quickly as possible. The 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 emperor's children fell the fastest. They fell the fastest, but they were blinded by it too. Yeah, they didn't realize they knew how bad it was until it was bad. They knew that it was a way to perfection and power. Mm -hmm. They embraced it, but there, you know, Mortarion did not embrace anything until it was well too too late. late. Yeah, the truth is that. In the early years after the Battle of the Istvan system, most of the traitor legions were still concerned more with the political rebellion and with imposing new order of their version of the Imperium than they were to surrendering it to any sort of anarchy. They weren't ready at this point to just open up the warp and let chaos out. That, that came, though. And that switch, it's a light switch. It's not a spectrum. It's not a slow boil. It's an on-off. <laughs> It just clicks one day and they all go, well, fuck it then. It, it kind of happens for different Primarchs at different times because of their own stories. But realistically, it that's that's the domino set. That's the big fall. Everything kind of happens at one. That's the big linchpin event that happens for the traitors is the, oh, we're, we are the baddies. Let's embrace it. Let's do what we're here for. We already made that choice. Hans, are these the baddies? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Gets a flamenwerfer. <laughs> <laughs> Although Horus continued to war with himself for a long time, like down to the Battle of Terra as to whether or not he was doing the right thing or not. But that has a lot to do with Horus being very much a broken character by that point. The, the Horus of the early heresy and the Horus of the late heresy are very different characters. Uh, the hero is very much gone. It's this broken old man. That set on vengeance towards the end just wants to strangle his father, and that's all that there is in him anymore. And he doesn't, and he doesn't even remember why. Yeah, exactly, because he's so twisted at that point. Even Abaddon is disgusted by him at the end. Abaddon's like, I can't fucking believe. And that's the that's the thing with the Black Legion. Like the Black Legion painted their armor black to mourn the Emperor, or not mourn the Emperor, to mourn Harris. Blah 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 blah. But Abaddon also ordered them to paint their armor black because he was like fuck the sons of horus fuck horus we're done with that shit we're doing it right there was a way to do this right and i showed him over and over and over again and he didn't fucking listen to any of us and he got himself killed because he's a dumbass anyway <laughs> abaddon will get his entire series <laughs> tell me how you really feel <laughs> that's that's the name of abaddon's series tell us how daddy show us on the warp doll where daddy horus hit you <laughs> <laughs> i love it and to turn now to the loyalist legions the measure of true glory is not to give battle in the bright noon of war 
surrounded by brave comrades upon the field of victory, but to valiantly fight on alone in darkness, with no hope of aid or even remembrance, and to spit defiance in midnight's eye. Lionel Johnson, Primarch of the Dark Angels Legion, Reflections in the Mirror of War, Volume 3. It's a really cool quote, but then when you read where it came from, you're like, this motherfucker wrote three, but what a bit. No. <laughs> While he was looking in a mirror, and everybody right? obsesses about Holgram looking in a mirror. Yeah, Lionel Johnson does this weird, at least I, I noticed it in the in the book that I read that had him in it, um, or audiobook. I guess I listened to it. I didn't really read it. It's fine. <laughs> Close enough. But it, he does this thing where he just like spaces out and just like looks into the, just like stares off and just contemplates shit for a while. And then like says some like vaguely mid tier deep shit. Right. <laughs> it's really funny. Lionel it's Johnson. like you expect something to be like really profound and he says something. You're like, yeah, that makes sense. But it's nothing like crazy. It's not like mind blowing. You're just like, yeah, that makes sense. He's that high school kid <laughs> contemplating life when they're like a sophomore because they know so much. You know those uh, college parties where there's that one guy that's either that one person. I shouldn't say one guy. One one person, guy or girl, usually gets drunk or high first, and they start waxing philosophically in like the garage. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. yeah, yeah. yep. And and you're just drunk slash high enough that it all sounds profound as fuck. But then the next and day you're like, that dude was fucking crazy. Where are you? <laughs> We're absolute fucking idiots. Yeah. <laughs> so so you mentioned that it was an audiobook, and the thing that leapt into my mind was the two pirates and the pirates of the Caribbean, and the one guy's like, What are you doing? And the other dude's like, I'm reading the Bible. And he's like, Right, but you can't read. And the guy's like, It's the Bible. You get points for trying. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I don't know why. And like, like, I'm not downplaying anybody who listens to audio uh books now. I listen to audiobooks now because I do so much like reading for research that if yeah. I want to get any fiction in my life, I have to listen to an audiobook. I have to. Because you have to like, go I can't, <laughs> I cannot sit down and read any more than I possibly read That's right funny. now. To those loyal to Terra, everything since the Istvan Three atrocity had been a mass of confusion. Who was ally and loyalist and who stood with Horus as traitors was muddied and incredibly unclear. This opening salvo was a grievous blow and it called into question the Imperium's survival itself. Increasingly, the warp was in turmoil, making voyages across the void hazardous and longer. And communication by the astrotelepath over any extended distance was basically impossible. The defenders of the Imperium had been effectively sundered from each other, separated not simply by distance, but by insurmountable hazards and vulnerable to attacks from all sides. Barogal Dorn, on whose shoulders the fate of Terra and possibly the entire Imperium now rested, this was a period of intense frustration as he attempted to assess his own forces and coordinate their stand. The remnants of the Imperial Fists on Terra could benefit from the vast military assets that were there, including such elite forces as the Legio Custodes and the powerful Armada Imperialis battle solar Saturnine shipyards. Mars, however, was lost to civil war and now in support of the Warmaster, becoming a formidable block to the Loyalists. Now a deadly thorn in the Emperor's side, needing constant watchful blockades, which further diverted Dorne's attention. Eventually, it was decided for him that he would concentrate on building Terra's defenses for the inevitable traitor onslaught to come. So eventually, Malkador 
had to take the decision from Dorn and tell Dorn what to do. And Dorn accepted that because Dorn understood he was being pulled in too many directions, one. And two, he also really respected Malkador. He was one of the Primarchs that respected him. Yeah, there's actually in one of the books, there's an interaction. God, we haven't talked about it yet, but the assassin temples. Yeah, we're going to be... The, the many there. assassination attempts on Horus are a future episode. Yeah, because <laughs> there's there's a, one of those books, man. There's one of those happens in a book. That the way they describe it, all the assassin temple, the heads wear masks. Well, the yep. head of all the assassins is Malkador. Yeah. So they describe it the as head, master of assassins. Super hidden place. Nobody can find it. It's on Terra, blah, blah, blah. Dorn walks in one day and just says, you're done. You're telling me everything that's going on. There, yeah. yeah, there's a couple I of those. The, I love I love how it's like it takes that Primark to walk in to be like, you're all being idiots hiding everything from me. How the, how the fuck am I supposed to defend Terra? Yeah, we'll talk. We'll get into the, the many plots to assassinate Horus and how they don't necessarily go well and how it essentially leads to what you're talking about. <laughs> Yeah, because it seems like a good idea. I mean, and and realistically, you know, Malkador had a lot of success in using subterfuge and spies yeah. and assassins, but against Horus, it just wasn't working. I wonder why. Weird. As we covered with our drop site massacre episodes, the fate of Korax and his Raven Guard is relatively well documented, but the other legions betrayed during the drop site massacre less is known. Korax confirmed the bitter news of the death of their brother. Ferris, Manus, and the 10th Legion at the hands of their brother, Fulgrim, of the Emperor's children. News that shocked Malkador and the members of the Council of Terra to their core. At this point, no Primarch had ever turned on Primarch. This was the first time it had happened. As for the Iron Hands themselves, it was known that many of them had been driven to stark madness by witnessing their father's end and had thrown themselves wholesale into the crucible of war as if to absolve their loss with their own deaths. They wanted to pay back the loss by taking out as many as they could, knowing that it was futile, knowing they were going to die. Yet, a substantial number of Iron Hands legionaries had extradited themselves from the massacre, although few had eventually made it off planet. In orbit, many more had survived the void ambush against the Legion's fleet, breaking away and scattering across the stars. Some would form isolationist bands, fighting their own private wars against the traitors, such as the infamous Red Talons, of Atok Moor, or refuse any master, as did the company known as the Hearts of Stone. Others, such as those who came to follow Sharik Medsen, would form a series of ad hoc cell-constructed forces who slowly became a single loosely knit organization, a shattered legion army shot through with elements of other forces that had been wrecked by the treachery of Istvan. As to the fate of the Legion of Starday Salamanders, less even is known. Many had witnessed in horror as the entire region in which the last of the 18th had fought was consumed by atomic fire. Of all three legions betrayed at the Dropsite Massacre, the Salamanders suffered the worst, only a few of them actually escaping. Most of these survivors would join the bitter shadow war against the traitors either as part of the Shattered Legion warbands or more rarely as cohort forces of their own entirely, like those who followed the Prophet of Fire at the Siege of Menezoa and the Liberation of Goth, while the small guard force of Noctum acted in aggressive defense of their native region in accordance to their oaths, continuing to raise recruits to their Primarch's name and their legion's traditions unchecked. 
as for Primark Vulcan, it was assumed, at least for now, that he had perished. Taking taking a newt to the head and witnessing that, I'm pretty sure that that's a good way to go. Yeah. He's dead. Yeah. Are you muddying the water on purpose? <laughs> I'm not muddying anything. I'm just saying, you see somebody taking a nuke to the head, even a Primark, he's gone. Yeah, that's a good point. That dude's dead. Hadn't they done some shit like that? Survived some nonsense already at this point, though? No. Not like he that. Had, he hadn't survived anything like that yet. Oh, okay. So the loyalist forces as of this point are the Dark Angels, the White Scars, the Space Wolves, although a lot like the Thousand Suns, the Space Wolves are kind of like off and no one's really sure what's going on. They know they're loyal, but they're just kind of missing. The Imperial Fists, the Blood Angels, the Iron Hands, the Ultramarines, the Salamanders, the Raven Guard. Those are all the loyalists. Um, and as we've covered, the Dark Angels and the Blood Angels are off fighting one of the final wars of the Great Crusade. The White Scars and the Imperial Fists are stuck around Terra. The Space Wolves are off around Prospero, kind of doing their own thing. The Iron Hands are almost completely wiped out. The Salamanders are almost completely wiped out. And the Raven Guard are almost completely wiped out. Just to set the scoreboard a little bit. And the Ultramarines are tied up. Yeah, the Ultramarines are currently involved in the Battle Figure, of Calf. Figure yep. quotes, they're tied up. But not in not, the Fun Slin way. No, no. Not in the Fingers Cuff way? Yeah, they're not in the Pain Glove. And not, not in Slin Finger Gloves. Slin Finger Trap? Yeah. <laughs> you know the Chinese finger? Anyway. <laughs> I made that I made that joke the other day. I stuck my finger in my wife's butt. Because <laughs> she was wearing really tight leggings and I so I shoved my finger in there. So you gave her a thousand years of pain? What are you, Naruto? Yeah, I, I gave her the thousand years of pain jutsu. <laughs> and, but uh I did it and I was like because she's wearing leggings, I was like, it's a booty trap. It's like a finger Chinese finger trap, but you know made out of your butt. There you go. <laughs> and I guess the the 40k version of that would be uh what do you what do a butthole and a bracelet have in common? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> With Slanesh, they're the same uh, thing. Ah, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, you can Pretty wear much. one on each wrist. <laughs> or Demon one or the other accessories. <laughs> uh, we're all channeling a little bit of Marky today, I love, right? We, I, I love somebody's got to do it. Demon accessories. <laughs> <laughs> you like that demonet accessories i love it hunter killers as these loyalist survivor forces scattered across the northern imperium and beyond the war master tasks certain elements to hunt them down and slaughter them to a man these orders were accompanied by an implicit or explicit threat return in victory or don't bother to return at all these hunter killer forces were as isolated from their own chain of commands as the loyalists that they were tracking and soon a bitter and bloody war developed between Hunter and Hunted. While most of the traitor legions contributed forces to their effort, the legion that embraced the task with the most relish was the Emperor's children. Those elements not directly accompanying their Primarch commanded hunts which scoured the void and inflicted unspeakable atrocities upon those loyalists they were able to come to and corner. And one of my favorite chapters is a direct result of this time period and of this shit that was going on. They're considered renegade. They're not considered traitor and they're not considered loyalist as 41k as 40 by 40k standards. The Ashen Claws fall into that isolated from the Raven Guard, hunted by Horus, separated and isolated for so long that they no longer necessarily fit the defined Imperium's 
specificity for what a space marine is and should be. Mm-hmm. So they're just declared renegade by default in a way. Yep. The Sundered and the Black. I should rather fall in honor and glory than live in dishonor and treachery. But in truth, the decision is not mine to make. Rather, it has been made for me by one I once held above all others and whose name shall never pass my lips again. Unidentified Black Shield, formerly of the Sons of Horus. The treachery of the legions that persecuted the Dropsite Massacre was a stark crime against all of the Great Crusade and what it had stood for. And the names of the traitor legions that persecuted it spread far and wide. By the nature of the Emperor's Great Crusade, while each of the legions often fought as a whole army under the direct leadership of their own Primarch, smaller contingents were detached across the entire Imperium and and deep into the void beyond. Space Marine detachments of all sizes, from individual squads to entire battalions, operated beyond even the reach of the Wardmaster's agents, even while his influence was spreading throughout their parent legions. In most cases, these contingents were simply too far distanced to be part of the treachery, and by the time they eventually returned to communications range of the Imperium at large, the die was cast and events had moved past their control. Confronted with this betrayal, they saw the War Master for what he truly was and their brothers as base traitors, and can do nothing but renounce them. The vast cataclysm that had become the War of the Horus Heresy also spread and moved at a breakneck pace, one that fostered the mysteries, suppositions, lies, and and simple ignorance that cloaked much of the bloodshed even as it occurred, casting a veil over much of the events that would never be lifted. While we have recorded which Space Marine Legions, Titan Legions, Auxilia Regiments, and Mechanicum Forces have sided with the Arch Traitor and those which remained loyal, the full truth is far more complex and enshrouded in this deep mystery. So, are there any... uh... You know how you're talking about the Black Shields, and so those are Traitor Legion guys that didn't want to be traitors. Was there, has there been any writings of loyalists that were like, you know what? You know, I, I, I like, I, I've, I've fought alongside Horus. I agree with this. I'm going to get rid of my, you know, blue armor and uh, paint it like a son of Horus and go find it. There are examples of that happening. Ooh. Man, see, I've never read those. Oh, there, God, that's got there are not crazy. examples. There's not examples of the Ultramarines doing it, but there are examples of that happening. I'm, yellow armor? I doubt yellow armor. No, I, well, they're rave. They're the original Raven Guard. So, Tenth Company Raven Guard, which became the Ashen yeah. Claws. Yeah, yeah. Some of some essentially of that's the ten, Fallen. Yeah, the Fallen. Uh, the Dark Angels Fallen. There's a whole yeah. bunch of books about them. Well, that's that's th- and the Raven Guard too. The Raven Guard. Some of some of Tenth Company became the Ashen Claws. Some of Tenth Company uh, just joined the Sons of Horus. Okay, because I don't mean the Dark Angels because that's that's a lot. Uh, that's different. That's like a more out in the open and trick chaos trickery of who's really a traitor or not. And the I Alpha mean, Legion kind of falls into that too. Yes, I mean no, like, but I also, mean like, uh, since there's I'm, a white. Like a whole a white scars company that's like, you know what? Fuck this. We want to go do this instead. It happened. Chuck, have you read Soldier? I mean, the only no. the only example I it's can bring up. It's the opposite, and it yeah. ends on the Phalanx. Uh, it's a it's a renegade chapter. It's actually the only Chaos Space Marine book that I've ever read. But they're uh, they're declared renegade by the Imperium. They're not. They don't worship Chaos, but they were tricked into making deals with Chaos. By their, that was uh, after the heresy. Yeah, that was it was after, after the heresy. heresy. 
No, but I mean like during the heresy time, like the official answer to your question we'll actually talk about. So it did happen, Sweet. but Sweet. the Imperial propaganda machine says makes it go it away. Yeah. Yeah. That that's a one way road as far as uh the administratum is concerned, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Additionally, survivors of the Istavan conflicts, fleeing remnants and fragments shorn from command and driven half mad by treachery would become isolated and alone. Some, like those of the Shattered Legions, would swiftly return to the Imperium fold, but some did not or would not. They went on to wage a bitter war of vengeance alone. Others simply disappeared, their fates unknown, their stories completely lost. There were others of an even darker mind within the legions that had remained loyal to the Emperor. These elements, sometimes entire companies or command squads, that did not. They remained loyal to Horus. In some cases, the infection of the Warmaster's warrior lodges was to blame. But decades-old grievances left long smoldering, infiltration by outside forces, or simply a darker truth. Some Astartes, when given the option, believed that Horus had the superior case and the superior right to command their allegiance, not the Emperor. The opposite was true as well, and some that retained a loyalty to their Emperor and the Great Crusade over that of their own Primarch's will when they turned traitor. In the early years of the war, detachments of Legion of Astartes and sometimes entire squadrons of warships simply vanished without an apparent trace. While many may have fallen foul of warp storms or enemy action, it is likely just as true that some quietly slipped anchor and turned their coats to serve another master, and this happened on both sides of the divide. Whispered stories and evidence, most of which has been long since suppressed, have continued to persist of midnight-clad warriors and defaced Night Lord's heraldry savagely attacking traitor forces at the liberation of Esteban III, or reports of multiple Space Marine strike forces in the resurrected liberally of the Dusk Raiders thwarting the Iron Warriors at Kyborn and at Malak's Fall. But also consider the long-denied evidence of a great company of Space Wolves Legion bearing the symbol of the Serpent's Eye slaughtering millions at Neo-Cadiz, in 008.m31. So there's an example of the other side. Yeah. Or a company of Legionus Astartes at the Siege of Menzoa bearing the hybrid arms of the Iron Hands and the Sons of Horus Legion. And these are just a handful of the still infamous cases. Many more exist, either unsubstantiated or simply now forgotten, all which suggest a far more complex and uncertain picture of this great civil war. And I know for a fact some Raven Guard did it as well. So that's at least three examples and i think it's one of those things if you see you know if you see a spark it's just a spark if you see two sparks it's a problem if you see three sparks it's a fire yeah something like that there's a good chance that every loyalist legion had at least a company or two turned i like the whole maybe uh, not even on a company level maybe just a individual or even an individual yeah midnight clad warriors i like that one in night lord's heldry Trader forces. I like that one. Yeah, there was a whole group of night lords that like immediately turned on the night on the other traders and did night lord shit to night lords. <laughs> uh, that's fucking awesome. You know, serpent's eye. Uh, I approve of that. Space wolves. That's pretty gnarly. That's not the thirteenth company, right? Uh, I don't think so. The great company of space wolves legion bearing the symbol of the serpent's eye. I want maybe no. I don't think so. I don't think the serpent's eye is thirteenth. So you're 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 telling me the space souls went out and hunted down one of their companies? I'm telling you that there were traitor space space wolves. 
I like it. I can't find anything that says whether or not they're the 13th or not. Um, somebody who's That's a little crazy. bit more familiar with Space Wolves lore can yell at me later. <laughs> or when we hit Space Wolves lore, we'll, we'll get into it. Perhaps an even more sinister mystery are the reports of Space Marine forces appearing bearing no signs, seals, or heraldry, or markings of origin at all, or heraldry which bears no mark known during the Great Crusade. Although whether these black legionnaires were turncoats or, as some rumors suggest, raised by traitors from the chimeric gene seed of the Istvan dead for their own terrible purpose, the truth remains hidden. The other thing is that they could be from the two lost legions. That's another potential place that unknown heraldry could have come from. Oh, wow. And, and those were, were, which ones were they fighting, supposedly? Both? Both sides. Oh, man. That's the dirty little secret about black shields. So we talk about gray shields and black shields a lot in a yeah. 40K context. Black shields in the heresy, the term was completely different. We're getting into it now. The term was completely different. It was not Death Watch guys who had fucked up and were serving a specific purpose. Black Shields meant something completely different. Gotcha. A handful of Exodent accounts now sealed beyond all retrieval make references to a loosely termed and non-formal class of warriors known as the Black Shields, a term that came to be used during this period to cover a wide range of Space Marine outcasts, marauders, and those legion astardes of uncertain allegiance or origin. Mysteries and supposition attach themselves to such warriors regardless of where their true loyalties or intentions lay. In some cases, the term was a literal description. These warriors having painted over the livery of their armor's panels in black to hide all former association. In other cases, outcast forces probably bore their original colors and may have regarded themselves as the true inheritors of their legion. As an example, the 34th millennial of the emperor's children, the Death Eagles, or the original purple and gold of their parent legion with pride, refusing to abandon their heraldry. It is thought that the Death Eagles millennial clashed with their traitor kin at the Leth and at the Revoth keep in the Coronid deeps, but their ultimate fate, like that of so many black shields, remains unknown. So these were loyalist emperor's children in original emperor's children colors who fought and died against the emperor's children, allegedly. <laughs> we haven't said allegedly in a while that's a good that's a good place for it though never existing in numbers as great as the legions as they were pulled either from the survivors of deadly betrayals of their own kind or from the cohort of rapidly indoctrinated initiates that were being thrust into the battle for the cause they barely understood and power armor that was already left blank of liberty each of these war bands had their own place in the tapestry of the galaxy-wide destruction that was the Horus heresy. Their motivations and goals were often as individual as their bands. And many ultimately came to be categorized as believing that their legion or primarch had been wiped out, or that they had renounced their legion and their sire, refusing to follow his example, inciting with one faction or the other in mankind's galactic civil war. So in a lot of cases, anybody that was a black shield either thought their primarch was dead or was 100% opposed to what their Primarch's belief was. And it doesn't matter which way. This happened yeah. on both sides of the coin. That's, that's crazy to think that, too. Like, when you read all the novels and stories, too, about the Loyalists, all of a sudden, oh, sorry, Bob, we're, we're going to kill you, and we're taking this ship, and we're going over here now because we like what Horus does. Yeah, or because we like what the Emperor does. Yeah, that part I it get. It happened the other way. Yeah, that part I get, but... <laughs> uh, uh. Damn it, Chuck. 
There's always got to be one I mean, of us. I'm with Chuck on that. I I get it. I get that. I don't know why anybody would be like, yeah, I'm I'm down with burning everything to the ground. I I, I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't, I don't know why side. somebody here would, would, would be like that. <laughs> Just can't understand that train of Definitely thought. Definitely not the dude with the giant chaos star tattooed on his no, forearm. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. There was a there was a time it was in like it was like fourth or fifth edition where I actually used to make the argument that the lawyer, uh, that the traders were the good guys. And anyway, yeah, I can't remember what my argument was, but it was relatively well thought out. <laughs> and it was one of those things that's just born of that like you listen to your friends talk because I had a friend that was an Ultramarines player, and uh, and I had a friend that was an Ultramarines player, and I had a friend that was a Black Templar player. So I got the propaganda all heavy. All wow. Bad. Yeah. I can see that. And you know, when you're in that situation, you just kind of like, you're constantly devil is advocating your friend. So you yeah. just come up with a really good argument for why their arguments shit. <laughs> yep. But out of context, I can't remember what any of my argument was. I remember it was good. I remember I thought it was good. I should specify that. I thought it was good. <laughs> Still, there were more shadowy and less understood Black Shield factions, which remained cloaked under a shroud of misdirection and secrecy. While official programs were put in place for the legions to accelerate recruitment, other darker and more hidden endeavors were undertaken by powers on both sides. These all fell outside the legitimate framework of the legions, and they were uncaring of the established practices or traditions, or indeed the risks of needing to follow those traditions, and they were only interested in results. With these practices, legionaries were created using dangerously accelerated or forbidden chimeric gene seed implantation and brutal expedited psychoindoctrination protocols meant to quickly replace catastrophic losses as the certainty of the early years of war gave way to the grim realization that neither side might have enough space marines or material to overwhelm the other. This is the other side. I kind of mentioned it above when I mentioned that there were black shields who may not have painted their armor. They may have just been in armor that had never been finished. There were space Marines being pumped out on each side of the war way too fucking fast. Breakneck pace. There's no checks, no balances. Uh, they talk about them in a couple of the novels where there's guys that are like so green that they're dying within the first couple of shots and the guys that they're fighting with don't even know their names. Yeah, that's why you don't... Uh... There's there's already war movies about that. Don't ask them about his background and get attached. Yeah. Well, in uh, 15 hours, that's what they they call him New Fish because it's not worth learning his name. Uh, yeah. That's the one where the the average lifespan of an Imperial Guardsman is 15 hours. On that right? front, yeah, 15 hours of frontline combat. Uh, some Black Shields were truly gone rogue and still fought their wars with a bitter fervor that matched any zealot in either the Warmaster or the Emperor's camps while others, either by desire or the needs of survival, became reavers and renegades intent upon forging their own destinies among the stars. Of those, some began to lose their minds and spirits as time and the tide of war ground on, degenerating into little more than madmen and wanton killers. Those are the ones that would have fallen. Those are the renegades that became chaos over time. Others eventually regained a place, although often a distrusted one, in the order of battle of one of the great factions or other before the end. These would be the ones that came back into the Loyalists or those who retained their sanity and joined the Warmaster. Of those who did not, most would find the great scouring that was to follow their bloody ending or be driven into the darkness beyond known space. So there goes my Ashen Claws again. 
they still exist in that renegade status and they exist in that renegade status because they literally live on the edge of known space. Um, and they're not, you know, they're reavers and marauders. They're just like the Carcharodons. The Carcharodons would be another chapter that kind of exists in that liminal space. They're definitely loyalist more than their traitor, but they're not always seen as loyalists by the loyalists, I guess. I guess that's the way to say it. Yeah. Loyalists scattered. War now spread the length and breadth of the chaotic and now largely unseen Imperium. As far as Rogaldorn and Malkador the Sigilite were concerned, the Imperial Fists alone of all of the Allegionist Astartes would have to shoulder the burden of the defense of the throne world. Until such time as the Warp Storms relented or the other legions still unknowingly enacting the War Master's duplicitous orders could fight their way back through to them. The defenders of Terra would stand alone while around them the galaxy burned. You're welcome, Imperium, for the Imperial Fists. I would just like to say that there was definitely like a couple of weeks where Dorn was like, boo-hoo, I'm alone. And then and then my boys, the White Scars, showed up and were like, nah, dog, we got you back. Admit it, Chuck. We were there. Yeah, I, I get you were there, but still. <laughs> Come on, you know, man. <laughs> when when the loyalist of the sons is like all by himself, you you got you got to give him as a primark a moment to be like, ah, there, fuck. There was definitely there was definitely a hair raising couple of months where it was just Dorn and the fists and Terra. Well, think and, about it too. At the at the end of Estefan three, you know, Estefan five, and and the Raven Guard what's left show up, it's still just Dorn. And he's in an argument but, yeah. with what's his face, and he leaves. Yeah, it's right after that that um, Jacketai shows up because Jacketai was basically like on his way slowly to Terra. Because again, like there was no communicate. That that's the big takeaway. I, Kevin, yeah, I you mentioned it's it earlier in the a, episode. It's a breakdown there of the was, communication. Yeah, no communication during any of this. And what obviously, Black Shields means something completely different in 40k, and Gray Shields means something even more different. I mean, I mean, you would think at the, at that point in time, you know, we were talking about monsters and the warp and all that. You think Gilman would have just gotten one of those warp pigeons and sent it to Terra to tell him what was going on? Just hitch a ride on a warp whale. Yeah, that, there's, there's definitely. Too. We'll we'll get into it as we get closer to the siege of Terra, but there's definitely. A period of time during the Horus Heresy where a lot hinges on whether or not the Ultramarines are going to show up in time. A lot. Yep. That paints a pretty grim picture of the Imperium as it stands divided. We will cover the battles of Fall and the first battle of Paramar next before taking a look at the ways the Imperium attempted to forestall and stop Horus's advance against the homeworld. Against the throne world. It's not, we don't call it the home world. We call it the throne world, Ryan. I mean, you can you'd still be the home world. That's where everybody's from. Yeah, it's just different, different IP. Every, everybody, world three's every, not out yet. Every, everybody's got a little bit of terror in it. I actually just reinstalled Homeworld 2 remastered. Did you just say everybody's got a little bit of tyranid in them? Because I agree with you. Terran. If you said terror, everybody's get got, out. No, no I said everybody's got a little bit of terror in them. Everybody's you, got a little terror in them. It, it, Chuck. Do you have a little bit of tyranid in you? No, and I don't want it either. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I was going to offer to put a little bit of tyranid in you. Not my, Are you what, a gene what, stealer? You got to tongue, uh, tongue punch your throat box. Yeah, yeah you're not tongue <laughs> punching box. my throat box. <laughs> tongue punch your fart box. 
weeks. <laughs> Emmy Emmy latched onto that uh, saying. Oh, by the way, Kev, good. <laughs> you should go. Yeah, you should go pretty... to listen to the episode where we talked the the good and bad and the warp part two. You need to you need yeah, to watch it though for the about fifteen minutes of her, of her horrified drops. face as the reality of the Gene Steelers sets in. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But then she just embraces it and she starts running with tongue punch in the fart box. Yeah, she, I was there. It, for it that took one. her a minute. You, were you were there you? for that? Yeah, I remember that. Okay. No, for sure. No, no, no. I was there you're, for that. You're the you, one, were, you you came I'm up the one with, who said it. You came yeah. up with tongue punch the fart box back when we did yeah, the Gene Steeler. This episode. is when oh, yeah, we introduced it to Emmy later. Okay. <laughs> she, she had actually some said tongue, she asked. Yeah. Yeah. She also said tongue punch the the Tennessee. A couple of times. Tennessee. <laughs> All right. So we will cover the Battle of Fall and the First Battle of Paramar next before taking a look at the ways the Imperium attempted to forestall and even stop Horus's advance on the throne world. Want to get into contact with us about any of our episodes or this show? You can do that through email at underthehiveofmadness at gmail.com. You can also join our growing Discord community. We talk about the lore, hobby, and tactics of Warhammer 40k, plus lots of other topics like Age of Sigmar, Magic the Gathering, role-playing games, video games, and more. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, or at our website, underthehiveofmadness.com. As always, spelling and links can be found in our show notes. You can also help the podcast grow by liking and reviewing us wherever you get your podcast fix. We are on Spotify, Apple, Google, Audible, and many more. Support us on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash under the hive of madness. All Patreon members get access to a video podcast with minimal editing, so you can see our beautiful faces and hear all of our amazing blunders. All Patreon levels also get access to our quarterly painting contests, and we have other perks at higher levels, such as monthly giveaways, so go on over and check all that stuff out. Come on down to Vanderbilt's Resupply. Buy three red squigs and the fourth is free all year long. Plus, buy one gun and get a red squig after spike for free while supplies last all week. Vanderbilt's Resupply, the hive's finest choice in all of your domestic ordnance needs. Bang, bang! We are the snap, crackle, and last pop of the pirate Vox Wave 665.66 UHMR Chemrat Radio. Reminding all of you chem rats, hive mice, and sump ghoulies to keep those dials fixed right here. Same ratty frequency for a dose of the same ratty-ass attitude. Beware the four-armed emperors lurking in the night. One for sorrow, their presence doth fright. Two for blood glee, their hunger unbound. Three for whispers, their secrets abound. Four for doom, a fate most forlorn. Five paid in thrones, a tribute they scorn. Their flesh weight in creds, six paid in gold. But for these emperors, fear takes hold. Seven for secrets whispered in fear. In their grasp, dread draws near. Oh, I like it. Motherfucker. Read a nice book. <laughs> <laughs> Motherfucker. I like that at the end. <laughs> <laughs>